Great. So if, uh, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we are uh, coming towards the end of a series that we've been doing going through uh, Hebrews chapter 6. And we've been looking at six foundational truths um, that's mentioned there. So we should have it up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so there we go. There's there's the six that we've been looking at. And, and the person who wrote this letter to the Hebrews is encouraging people to grow in their faith. I want you to grow. And he's kind of saying, well, here's, here's the basic six. And I want you to move on from these. Um, but the encouraging thing for me is all of us have an opportunity to grow and to develop in our faith. And so looking at these again, there's an opportunity to go, okay, have I got this? Do I understand this? All of us are able to understand it just that much more. Have the truths of these things impact us that much more so that we can go on to increased faith and maturity in God. And so out of these six topics, we can kind of pair them together. So the first two, repentance from dead works and faith towards God, these are the things that you need in order to step into your spiritual life for the very first time. And we've got the next two, which is washings or baptisms and laying on of hands. These are two things that we need in order to live in this new spiritual life that we have. And then we have the final two, and this is where we're coming to today is the resurrection of the dead and judgment. And so this is, these are the two things that when we're stepping into eternity. Now, today we are talking about resurrection of the dead, which is why I feel like I've been imported for this evening. Thanks very much. Um, so resurrection of the dead. Uh, so I just want to acknowledge um, uh, this has the potential to sound a little bit weird. And and many of us, I'm sure, certainly I have, and so I'm assuming I'm not the only one who's met some weird Christians. I'm not talking about like my family's kind of weird, weird. I mean like like seriously strange people that make us feel uncomfortable. And the chances are if you've met a Christian like that, they might have been weird about one of these, especially when we're talking about eternity and judgment and like, whoa. So, so I get it. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, like why did I pick today to come to this church? I'm sorry. Uh, and so what I'm going to try and do is put something forward. That's just very sane, reasonable, and logic. I'm going to put forward some scriptures, things that I believe this is what the Bible has to say about this. And so I really want to try and avoid the lunatic fringe and just kind of maybe pull this back from some of the strange experiences that we've had. Um, and I know that we've just prayed. I, I want to invite you to pray with me just quickly again, because if we've had some of those experiences and maybe we don't even know that they're still kind of in our minds, but we have those little filters. We have those little systems in place that kind of go, okay, that's weird. Let's just back up a little bit. And and sometimes that, without realizing it, kind of crowds out or pushes out maybe some of the things that God wants to speak and to say and to do. And so just to very humbly, I just want to pray a simple prayer. I invite you to pray with me and we'll just invite God into that kind of weirdness space and just ask for him to bring a little bit of clarity. So Father, we, we want to acknowledge that maybe we've had some strange experiences and we've, we've heard people say some interesting things. We've all got different backgrounds, different histories. Um, and so, Father, as we, as we come this evening to speak about the resurrection of the dead 
it's a little bit strange for us. And so we, we invite you to come and to speak. If we've got filters, maybe subconscious, maybe things that we've put into place just to try and keep things um, a little bit protected, Heavenly Father, we, we invite you to come and to move and to shape. And if there's anything that you want to remove from our thinking, we ask that you would do it. And if there's anything that you want to add to our thinking, we invite you to come and bring that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Good. So I hope I hope no one's feeling utterly terrified or nervous. Um, and so uh, what we're going to do this evening, normally I like to try and stay in one key passage, but because of the nature of the topic, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit. And so I'm going to try and put as many of them up onto the screen as possible so that you can follow me with the scriptures. Feel free to take out a phone and do a little snap if you want, because if you want to look at this later on in the week, that would be great. So if you take your phone out, you're not taking a photo of me, and then that's fine, and then it's just there, and then uh, you can have a read later on in the week. So before we jump into all those scriptures, because there's so many, I'd love to provide a little bit of a framework uh, for us, just in which we can kind of think and make sense of of everything that we're going to be looking at. Um, and so that framework I would like to call maybe the overarching story of the Bible, right? The meta-narrative. And yes, the Bible's made up of many different books, many different authors, huge timeline. But in a way, this is actually a long story about God's involvement in this world. And so chapter one, God's involvement in this world, he makes everything. And he makes it, can you remember what he makes it? He makes it good, and that's that's really important. God creates everything and he makes it good. And then he creates humankind and he says that that's very good. And by the time we get to chapter two, God and humankind are together in this garden paradise place and God walks with humankind. He walks with mankind. He walks with us. And there's always supposed to be this space where God and humans are to be together in God's very good creation. That's a beautiful picture. And it's not just a picture, it's it's actually a reality that we were supposed to live in. But then things really go belly up and humankind rebels against God. And because of this rebellion, there's this corruption, this twistedness, this warpedness that enters into all of humans. And not only humans, but it actually enters into the rest of creation as well. So that all of creation has this brokenness to it. And so this, this corruption, ultimately what it means is that we are then separated from God. We ejected from the space where God dwells and we're no longer able to walk in the garden in his good creation together with God. And so there's a separation between humankind and God. And that really sucks because that's not what we were made for. We were made to be in close relationship and space with God in his good creation. The good news is is that as the story progresses, as we go along, time and time again, God is trying to reveal himself to humankind. Kind of as if to say, hey, I still want to be with you. These are the things you need to do to be with me. The sad part of the story is, is because of that corruption, because of that twistedness and brokenness inside of us, there's always that separation. There's always that thing, just things keep falling apart and we can never quite get there. And then finally, in Isaiah chapter 65 and and 66, God speaks through 
the prophet Isaiah, amazing. And he says that he's going to create a new heaven and earth. A new heaven and earth. That's interesting language. Where did God create heaven and earth? In the very beginning, didn't he? This is chapter one. There's creation language here. And so God's saying, hey, we made something really, really good. And things went pear-shaped. I want to restart it. I want to remake it. I want to make it right. I want to renew it. And so a couple of hundred years later, enter Jesus into the scene. God squeezes himself into the form of humankind. And Jesus takes on the sin of all humanity upon himself. He takes upon himself the consequences of that corrupt nature inside of us. And he's executed on our behalf. And he dies for you and I. Now, that's that's amazing. It's horrifying and such good news at the same time. It's horrifying that he should have to do that. And it's amazing news because it means our sin is dealt with. The whole story of the Bible up till this point, we've not been able to deal with that sin, that corruption, that that nature inside of us, the thing that separates us from God, the roots of all the problems. Jesus comes and he deals with that. That's amazing, amazing news. But then what happens three days later? He rises from the dead. Now, I don't know about you. But in most of my Christian upbringing, Jesus' death was celebrated, and so it should. So it should. But I didn't really get the whole point of resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. It's great. What are the implications of that? Why do we make, as Christians, why do we make such a big fuss about Jesus rising from the dead? It's a good question. I'll get to that in a moment. And after three days, then Jesus goes around and he shows himself to a number of disciples, gives instructions, gives a commission, says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you always till the very end of the age. And and that's exciting. That's great. And then Jesus says, I'm going to leave you to it. I'll be back. And he goes. What's he going to do when he comes back? What's he going to do when he comes back? Well, We're told that he's going to judge the living and the dead and reconcile all things to himself. Now, that's that's a big deal. He's going to reconcile all things to himself, not just humans, everything, the whole story, all of creation, where everything went so wrong, we're going to fix it. And then we get to this, I think, one of the most exciting Passages in scripture, we go right to the very end. It's the closing scene of the whole Bible, right? We, we open up with Genesis, very cool creation scene. What, what does the final scene of the story look like? Revelation 21 verse 1 to 4 should be up on the screen. The apostle John has this vision and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh yes, there's that creation language Again, that's what Isaiah said, but that's what we said in Genesis 1. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed 
for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Oh, yes. We've gone back to that garden space with God in the very beginning. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. If we look at the story, how did it start? Things went pear-shaped. Jesus came. Where's it going? Where's it going? It's coming to a place where things are made new and right, and we get to be with God again. Now, I don't know about you, but normally when I think, cool, what happens when I die? I go to heaven. Is that the language here? What happens when you die? Well, it's not so much I go to heaven, but heaven comes down to a new earth. So there's an aspect to which actually we're going to be on the new earth and God's coming down here again. Now, that might seem very strange, but I I think we've just read it. I think we've all thought, oh, I'm going to heaven. But is that really what the scriptures say? It doesn't seem to be. It seems to be heaven 2.0 and earth 2.0 coming together, making things right, things renewed. And that's very exciting. Now, I haven't even spoken about resurrection of the dead. I haven't done it. But resurrection of the dead is going to find its place in that story of all things being renewed and made right again. So let's talk about resurrection of the dead. Luke chapter 24. How are you guys doing? Are you with me? Are we there? I, I'm hoping that some of the faces I've got are it's Sunday afternoon, not what on earth is happening here. Okay. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 43. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. Some people have seen him. They've said, Jesus is risen. The disciples are like, what are you talking about? He's dead. They're together. They're in a locked room. They're talking about this. And Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Are you kidding? A dead guy just arrived and appeared in the room. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. Yes. Thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? I'll tell you why they're troubled. Okay, no, fine. Right. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. So is this a ghost? Is this the spirit of the risen Jesus? Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. It's me in the flesh. It's Jesus, me in the flesh. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. So the resurrected Jesus, his body, it's Jesus, flesh and bones, in person. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement and all of the emotions that are in there, just to make a point, he asked them, have you got anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish and he ate it in their presence. Right? Do ghosts eat fish? No. What's he doing? He's saying, guys, it's me. In the flesh. Here I am. It's a physically present Jesus, but it's also the kind of resurrected Jesus that can just appear. Right? Ta-da. There's another account where Jesus is walking with some of the other disciples on a road and they totally don't recognize him. Resurrected Jesus. Don't know who he is. 
But then later on, they recognize him. Ah, here's Jesus. And then he disappears. Well, gone. What's going on here? It's, It's resurrected Jesus. It's flesh and bones. But there's something different. 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I just want to stop there. Fallen asleep. That's, it's a nice way of saying people in faith who have died. But here's the thing about dying. When you're in the ground, do you come out? No. Generally, people who've died stay dead. But when you sleep, what happens after you sleep? You wake up. So here's the language to show we're not expecting death is finality. So we've got people who have fallen asleep. They've died, but we're expecting them to wake and to rise. And the language here is that Jesus is the first fruits. Now, if you're a farmer, let's say you're going to have a huge harvest. And so when it's harvest time, the very first day of harvest that you bring in, those are called the first fruits. Now, these guys are a big deal. Because if the first fruits are good, what does that tell you about the rest of the harvest? What it's, what's it going to be like? It's going to be good. If it's a horrible day of harvesting, your first fruits are bad, shucks. The rest of my harvest is going to be like the first fruits. It's going to be bad. If it's sweet and juicy first fruits, hooray. The rest of the harvest will be sweet and juicy as well. And so look at the language here. Christ has been raised from the deads, the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, because we're expecting them to rise. Jesus was the first fruits. Well, since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, 2000 years ago, then when he comes, Back, those who belong to him will also rise with him. You tracking with me? Okay. John chapter five, verse twenty-eight. I'm gonna I'm gonna push this home a little bit. Jesus speaks and he says, Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. That is a sci-fi horror movie Netflix, here we go. Right, Everyone in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Wowzer. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Next chapter, John chapter 6, verse 54. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. What's the last day? That's the day when Jesus returns. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven. I assume most of us here are South African citizens, and ultimately what he's saying is, you're a South African citizen, but your, your real citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. When did he get his glorious body? When he rose from the dead. So it's a physical body that Jesus is raised with. But there's something different about Jesus' body as well. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Yeah, no kidding. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. If you want to make an announcement 2,000 years ago, you want everyone to hear it, you blow the trumpet. This is like, this is a call that everyone gets to hear. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable never to die again, and we will be changed. So there is a sense in which, because of your faith in Christ Jesus, you will be raised in this body. But there is also a sense in which it's different from the body that you have now. Just like Jesus' body was Jesus' body. He had holes in his hands and his feet, and he ate fish, but there was also something different, and it's a mystery, and we will be changed. And so that is what the Bible teaches about resurrection of the dead. That is what we believe, albeit a little bit strange. I think it's quite exciting. I think the implications of that are pretty big. And so there we go. That's what we believe. And I could sit down, but I'm not going to. Because you might say, oh, fine. So what? That's a great question. So what? And so if you've zoned out, stay with me because I want to answer that question. So what? What you believe about the future shapes how you live now. What you believe about the future shapes how you live now. You want to enter into the Olympic Games. You want to win gold. You will sacrifice your time and your sleep to train. You will diet. You'll give up on certain foods. You'll give up on certain social activities. And people might look at you and say, why? Why would you do that? Because you've got something in mind, don't you? And that's going to shape how you live now because you've got an end goal in sight. Let me, let me use another analogy. Let's say we've got two people, person A, person B, both of them get a job. It's a 12-month contract. You're going to screw bottle caps onto bottles. 10 hours a day, seven days a week, no weekends, no holidays, 12 months. At the end of 12 months, you get your paycheck. Person A is going to get 12 million. It's a million a month. Person B is going to get 12 grand. That's a thousand rand a month. Both exact same jobs, doing exactly the same thing, same constraints, screwing on the bottle caps onto the bottles, day in, day out, alone, in a room by themselves. How do we expect this scenario to go? How's person B going to do? How long is it going to last? Hmm? Person B, how long would you last for 12 grand for a full year? No, I'm out. Thanks. I don't know how long, but after a while, that the tedium... It's too much. What about person A? I'm pretty sure they'll whistle on their way home from work. Right? I'm, I'm sure it would be tough and boring. What's going to keep them going? 12 bar. <laughs> 12 million. It's a million at the end of this month. 1 million down. 11 to go. Right? There's a motivating factor, isn't there? And if you look at the letters in the New Testament, I think the apostles understood this. Because when you have Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their possessions, they are publicly ridiculed, 
thrown to wild animals and ripped apart in a circus on public display, dipped in tar and stuck on a pole and set alight? How do you encourage Christians in those circumstances? Well, look at these New Testament writings. They're pointing to something eternal, something greater. I didn't notice it until I started looking at this kind of eternal language. I, I come from some family background where, you know, that eternity and Jesus coming back got into the weird realm. So I stayed away from the weird, weird realm until reading the Bible. I started to see, wow, there's a lot of talk about eternity here. There's a lot. And, and they seem to be encouraging Christians towards this. And it's a simple fact of history that worked. These Christians endured. They didn't say, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, some of them did, but so many of them stuck with it to the point where unbelievers looked at the way that they endured and said, what is going on here? How are you okay with this? How do you seem to keep it together? I don't understand. Many of those moments actually brought unbelievers to faith because of the way that believers endured through those hardships and those troubles and those trials. And so what we believe about our future totally shapes how we live now. And so God is on a mission to reconcile a world, a good creation that is broken, to make things new and right and to come full circle to the place where we come to life and live with him for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth and a world made right. Has that got the potential to help me and to help you endure? I think it does. I think if we get it, there's something that you're like, oh, okay. There's big implications for this. So, what now? That's, that's my third point. The, the first point was like, what do we actually believe? And the second point is, and so what? And so, I think there are implications for the way that you and I live. So, what do we do with this? If we say we believe this, if this is what the Bible teaches, what are we going to do with it? I think, I, I think that's a great question. I think we can spend the rest of our lives digging into that question, finding the answer to that. What a great thing to discuss in life groups. What a great thing to discuss at home together. What a great thing to wrestle through and say, God, in light of that eternal future, what do you want me to do? I want to give you one thought. I, I would suggest that we could be great signposts. Hey, you know, a signpost that says that way, that way. Because this, this is where the story is going, right? This is where the story is going. This is where we're going to end up. And God's going to renew all things, restore all things to himself. We're going to point in that direction. And so how do I do that? How do I be a really good signpost? Well, one of those is using a word, it's a very Christianese word, holiness. What does is, what is holiness even mean? Because some of us are now picturing a choir and people going, oh, right? What is, what is holiness? 
The first time we see the word holy in the Bible, funnily enough, we're going to go back to Genesis 1, all the way back to the beginning, and God on day one makes so-and-so, and God on day two makes such and such, and God on day three, day four, day five, day six. Day seven is different from the rest, because every day God was working. Day seven, God rested. And then God said, this day is set apart from the other days. It's holy. That's a really good way of thinking about holiness. Holiness is to be set apart from the rest. And so sometimes that does mean morally, does mean action. It could mean how you look, etc., etc. It means to be set apart for a different purpose. And so the Apostle Peter writes 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. According to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Did you know that was even there? Actually, it's in the Bible, right? In which righteousness dwells. Therefore, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? What should we do? Because we're waiting for this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There's something beautiful here about saying, wow, that's where we're going. This is what God is going to do. And I want to live a holy and pure life because I'm going to receive the full resurrection life of Jesus. And Jesus was holy and I want to be holy because that's how he is and that's how we're going to be for eternity. And I want to start that now. And so I get to be holy by taking my money and setting it apart for a different purpose. Hey, what, what, how, how do I put my money into the trajectory and point the signpost? This is where we're going. This is where we're going. I can participate with God in his renewal work. Hey, making things right, bringing righteousness and justice into this world. I can take some of my financial resources and put it towards that and make things right. You know what we're doing? I'm believing that God is at work in this world and ultimately he's going to finish the job. And someone might say, why the heck are you spending your money on that? For what? Because ultimately this is, this is what God is busy with. And that's what he's going to do one day. I can take how I see sex and I can set it apart and use it differently. It's not about me anymore. I can point to something eternal. I can take any aspect of my life and separate it apart for God and use it for something different because it's not about me anymore. And God is at work. And so one way I can be a signpost is holiness. The other way I could be a signpost is, is actively participating with God in his work of renewal in this world. That could be very spiritual or it could be very, very practical. Right? It could be a case of praying for people, laying hands on the sick, you know, that's very spiritual. I can't physically manufacture, gonna get Seth healed today by prayer. I can't, I'm, I'm trusting in God for that. But wow, you're actively involved in God saying, this is a broken world. That's not how I intended it to be. I'm restoring all things. Here's evidence of that. God restoring things, his creation that is good, that is broken. God is at work, man. That's amazing. So we could be very spiritual about that. And I, I, don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I mean, that's great. But we could also be very practical about it. Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? 
a social worker? What, what job is it that you have where you can bring about wrongs and make rights, bring about rightness in this world? Is that God's heart? Totally. Is that what he wants to do in this world? Absolutely. I, I find that amazing. Hey, 20-something, you're looking for your purpose in life. What, what should I do? What should I? Well, maybe he's got something specific, but maybe it's a case of God saying, Hey, one, I've got a job that I'm busy doing. You want to come? Choose a job. Let's fix things. Make things right in this world. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. You want to find someone who, who should I get married to? Sometimes this specific, sometimes it could be general. Is it a person that can participate with you and God in his work of renewal, restoring all things to himself? That seems to me like a pretty good person you might want to partner up with for the rest of your days. And so God is at work. He makes this great creation so that him and his people can be together. And sin enters into that world and corrupts and twists things. And God's not finished with this world. And his plan is to renew all things and restore all things to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection life of Jesus, friends, is a resurrection life that will be ultimate reality for you and I one day. If you put your faith in Christ, there's going to be a resurrection life one day at the end. As we step into eternity. And it is not. Tap out. So long world. Burn away. I'm out. Off to heaven. That is not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God restoring and renewing. New heavens. New earth. Together. And God will be with his people. I find that exciting. I find that compelling. Really do. Hey. What a vision to live for. And yes, there may be a bit of a weirdness factor to it, but perhaps there's something inside of you that says, as much as it's weird here, there's something resonating inside of me. And so I can invite you to stand with me, right? I, I really do not want this to stay in the realm of theory. Otherwise, it's been a lecture and I have wasted my time. It's really, you can find better lecturers. What I'm praying and trusting for is that God does something in our hearts. And if it's not today, then it's later on at some point that he gets a hold of our hearts. And we say, God, I want to participate with you in your work of renewal. That the resurrection of Jesus becomes that much more meaningful to us. Because the sacrifice of Jesus I think we're strong on that. I think we're good on that. I think we're saying, Jesus, thank you for taking on my sin. That's awesome. But not many of us are thinking about, okay, Jesus, you rose from the dead. What does that mean for me? And there's a mission. There's a mission. God is on a mission. God is always at work. Jesus said, my father is always at work. I believe Jesus. God is at work. We can't always necessarily perceive it. And so maybe you've got faith for things that are deeply spiritual And maybe you've got faith for saying, hey, I know of an orphanage somewhere. Could I? Yes, you could. There's someone who needs some food. Yeah, that's part of it too. Hey, there's so many things that we can see that are wrong. And I I don't want us to be overwhelmed by all of those things. But what can you do? What does God want you to do? And I would love for us to pray that God would make this very practical for us.
So Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It may be surprising this evening. Jesus, we we thank you for your resurrection life. Thank you that you rose from the grave, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and that we will be like you. We are part of your harvest one day to receive resurrected bodies like Jesus, and that we will one day be with you in eternity, in a new heaven, new earth, together with God. Tears wiped away, wrongs made right, and an eternity of good creation with God. But we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly value. God, would you please grip our hearts so that we get stuck in with the work that you are doing in this world? Father, for some of us, there's been things that we've been thinking about saying, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And perhaps now, God, there's that confirmation of, yes, do it. Get stuck in. Go do it. Perhaps, Father, some of us have been saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, please open our eyes to the things that you are doing and help us to humbly and faithfully participate with you in your work of renewing your good creation. Father, for some of us, you've given us the gift of faith, and maybe we're not operating in that gift yet. Father, would you please release that gift, open up that gift, give us faith to step out in that gift so that we can see miraculous, amazing works of restoration and reconciliation happening. God, there are some things that are so practical that we can do, and there are some things that are so impossible that we can never do, but only you can. But for all of these things, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit to go out into your world and to bring the light and the love and the restoring power of Jesus Christ to our world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.